Coming up on today's show, Nintendo's Nindies are back. We're finally getting an update on some missing Ubisoft titles, and we've got a special interview with the one and only Reggie. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am one of your hosts, Andrea Renee, joined as always. Well, not always. I missed you last week. Brittany Brombacher. Hello, Andrea. Oh, what a lovely, sweet way that you introduced yourself just now by saying hello when before she burped. You guys, she burped yeah. again. She just always burps. I don't know. Jason makes fun of me. He says I don't know how to swallow water. It's whenever I drink water, <laughs> he tells me, I don't know. I guess, he you know, there might be something to it. Who could say? I'm happy, though, that you're drinking water. That is the important part. So I will take your burps if it means that you are properly hydrating with your tiny little mini gentleman jacket. It's so cute. Isn't that cute? I got it um, for Mother's Day. We stopped by a Total Wine because we were walking around the mall. And I said, listen, I'm old. I can't walk around the mall sober anymore. So I went and got some minis. Oh, my gosh. I've never thought about that. And I hate myself that I've never had this idea. It's so much more bearable. It's great. (sighs) Totally do it. Amazing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's your first episode or your 275th episode of What's Good Games, we are glad that you are here. We want to thank this month's Patreon producers, Chewy's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Atia, Justin Foshi, Matthew Goudere, and Punctified. And thank you to everybody who has supported us on Patreon since day one at patreon.com slash what's good games and there are a lot of you in fact we are going to be celebrating the launch of what's good games on patreon in our five-year anniversary stream which is happening tomorrow saturday may 14th starting at 10 a.m pacific time on our twitch channel twitch.tv slash what's good games You guys can check it out there, and we will have the VOD up on Twitch and on YouTube later on if you can't join us live. But, Britt, can you believe it? Five years. No. It's it's absolutely wild to me that we've been doing this for five years. I think about how much has changed in our lives in these past five years. And I don't know. I'm happy. I'm proud of us for lasting five years. I'm proud of us that we are throwing ourselves a bone and we are celebrating on Saturday with some mimosas with cake, with Microsoft Paints, with a yes. throwback to times of old. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a be good great. day. And we're it's going to fun. watch some highlights from our best moments over the years. So hopefully you guys can join us. We would love to see you. I know we haven't done something live in quite some time. So it'll be a, a, a nice little change of pace and crossing my fingers to the technology gods that nothing breaks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're smiling down on you right now, being like, yeah, right, bitch. Yeah, right. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> um, and thank you to our new podcast reviewers. Okay, this is getting ridiculous, <laughs> but I, I will do my best. Hikif doi kwig updoc. Thank you very much for your very, very kind review. 
Much, much appreciated. And then we got another one from 6374819. And then there was another series of numbers after that. And I know this is all public, but I was like kind of worried that maybe these were important numbers for some reason. They accidentally put real numbers into their username for some reason. Who knows? I don't exactly. So again, another very kind hearted review that made me feel all warm and fuzzy. And, you know, it just made Andrea and I feel good. We've been having some, I don't want to say tough conversations is the way to put it, but just kind of, you know, conversations everything's fine we're good but i think seeing these positive reviews on the show just kind of buoyed me a little bit at a time when i really needed it so thank you amen to that so thank you to everybody who takes the time to write a review and and leave us a really wonderful five-star message as Brittany said sometimes as content creators and also as moms and just humans in general you go through some tough stuff and having somebody in your corner cheering you on and saying nice things always makes you feel a little bit better. So thank you to everybody who has taken the time to do so. And I also want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN and Zavi. We'll tell you more about that later. But for now, let's talk about all things Nintendo. It's just one Nintendo story after the other today. But I think what we can do is start with the Nintendo Switch Indie World Showcase that happened this week. So I fondly called it Nindies, but I know that they've done away with that moniker. Oh, yeah, you're right. That they're just calling it Indie World, but I kind of liked Nindies. I like Nindies. That's cute. Why would you get rid of that? You know, there's got to be a reason. Somebody somewhere was like, this just doesn't make sense. Or maybe it was a translation thing when they were talking about it in Japanese. I don't don't know. Um, So there was a showcase that happened, and there was a bunch of really cool indie games that were shown for release dates on Switch, most of which have all been announced before, but there was a couple um, new things that we got to see. Was there any of these scrolling through this list, Britt, that kind of stood out to you? It was like, ooh, that one looks kind of cool. Yeah, and I'm trying to get to it. It's Lamb of... Not Lamb of God. Is it called Lamb of... What's it called? Cult of the Lamb. Cult of the Lamb. Lamb of God is a band that once once opened for Metallica when I saw them about 13 years ago. Uh, Scared the shit out of me. Anyway, so Cult of the Lamb, that's a game that I've had my eye on since its um, debut. God, was that last year, two years ago? (laughs) What is time anymore? But it's an action-adventure game, and it's it's randomly generated, so it looks like it's a roguelike, but it'll be released on Switch later this year and puts players in the hooves of possessed lambs. The hooves. Oh, the hooves of, of a possessed lamb, excuse me, who was oh, I, saved. F- sorry, go ahead. I was not trying to correct you. I just thought it was a funny word. <laughs> hooves? Hooves. Hooves? And you're, I'm I don't get know. you a show that says hooves. Anyway, Thank you. You're welcome. That was saved from annihilation by a foreboding stranger. Throughout the game, players will need to repay their debt by building up a community, conquering dangerous dungeons, building up resources, and much more. So I don't know if it's actually a roguelike or not. Maybe the only part of it's the randomly generated dungeon area. But either way, like I just thought this game looked so silly, so quirky, and I think it just looks really fun. And I, for some reason, I'm drawn to it, Andrea. I'm absolutely drawn to it. So I am really excited about this one. I want to play it. I think the art style is really cute, and it's a kind of game that I think would be a fun game to have. Like The learning curve doesn't seem like that intense, which is what I'm excited about. Yes. And I also see on this IGN article, there's one called Agro Crab. Crustacean oh, yes. themed. <laughs> it's a crustacean themed souls like. <laughs> what? So it's I a souls like that stars a hermit crab, which, okay. Like sure, I mean, why? Why not? I feel like the term "souls like" is getting kind of overused, but we'll we'll allow it for the sake of of the of the nindies. Yeah, we will. 
I think that looks kind of fun. Listen, Andrew, I've been playing Elden Ring. I'm pretty much a Souls like expert now. I just want oh. everyone to know. So gotcha. I am all about it. Okay, so, so this what is, is called this Another Crab's Treasure, and it's a crustacean-themed souls, like as Brittany mentioned. Stars a hermit crab that has to utilize over 50 different <laughs> shells to overcome some of the most dangerous threats under this world's polluted sea. I mean, they're clearly <laughs> making a Sebastian reference here. It definitely looks a little Sebastian-like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's making its way to Switch in 2023. It's see? even got a dingle hopper there. Did you see? What the fuck's a dingle hopper? Oh, what? Sprint? No. Okay, to Google. Dingle Hopper. I mean, that sounds like a name that you use. A oh, it's it's the fork artifact. Okay. Yes, I get it's it. It's not a real thing. It's a Little Mermaid reference. I was going to say the word sounds like a, a whatchamacallit, you know, like something like that. And it sounds like that. That's exactly what it was. So I wasn't too far off. Exactly. Listen, miss, I'm married to Disney, Mr. Disney. Hey, uh... Why don't I just take this opportunity to disclose once again that, yes, my husband works for Disney. In case you are new to What's Good Games, welcome. First off, I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, but my husband does indeed work for Disney in their games department. And uh, that does not have anything to do with my lifelong love of The Little Mermaid, which I was watching and loving far before I ever knew that John Drake was a human being that existed. Fun fact, that's why Andrea dyes her hair red. <laughs> Um, I laugh because I maybe have bounded as Ariel at Disneyland before that happened. (laughs) And a little girl came up to me and wanted to take photos with me. And I, I was like, you're so sweet and cute. I, of course, will take photos with you. I'm definitely not like an official cast member. I'm just a (laughs) random person with red hair and green, like mermaid leggings on. (laughs) But it was, it was sweet. And it's just like, it's just right there. You know, the red hair, she's got the purple like shells. It just, it all works. It all works. It does. Um, So some of the other things that I saw from the showcase that I just kind of wanted to highlight just because I kind of think that they are cool, hashtag cool, Um, we got to see another trailer for OFK. I'm not sure if you remember this game. So this game looks super fun. It's a making of the band journey that takes players through the ups and downs of making a dream come true in Los Angeles. It's kind of more like a playable animated series um, starring Itsumi Saito, and it's a fully voiced cast uh, that's going to be launching next summer. And the episodes, I believe, are coming out weekly, which is super cool. That's really cool. And I saw that Greg was um, listening to the soundtrack on Spotify, I believe. Ooh, I didn't realize that the soundtrack is out. Yeah. I'm that is awesome. Is- yeah, so they have original um, music in the game, and um, they have like a pretty stellar voice cast from what I've seen so far. And you know, I anticipate this band doing a live performance at the next Jeff Keighley produced event. Make it happen, Keighley. Oh, I hope so. This just looks like something so different. That's the kind of innovation that I like. You know, it's just something that you haven't really seen done before. And I think, you know, it just looks interesting enough that even if it doesn't look like something that might interest you, you might want to experience it just because it is something unique. So Yeah, it kind of has like a little bit of an anime vibe to it, but it doesn't go full anime, which I'm all about because you know me I I don't know why I have just an aversion to full anime (laughs) never go full anime um so I also wanted to just kind of call out that they did a 
a good job, at least from what we've seen so far, of making the cast more representative and more diverse, which I really like. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be great. So yeah, so. that's a uh, that's one that I found that I was like, mm, this is cute. I can't wait to play. And then of course, you know, we've had our eye on Ooblets for a while. I know it's already out on other platforms, but finally coming to Nintendo Switch. So this is another really adorable game. That's super cool, and I have been meaning to check out. I literally have it downloaded, I think, on my Xbox, and I've just been like, you know, as y'all know, not playing anything. (laughs) But this is still on my list of, like, in my pile of shame, as it were. Yeah, I know this is one of those games that would probably completely captivate me. So it's it's scary to think about playing it. It's kind of like when I played Stardew Valley for the very first time. I had to make sure I had nothing going on for the foreseeable future because I knew nothing else would get done. And I think this is one of those games as well. It's just, you know, it looks yeah. like those chill, cute little, like, whatever ooblets. I'm assuming that's what they are. There's farming. There's just, like, crafty. It looks like collecting resources. Like, okay, cool. I'm in. Yeah. It's definitely kind of like a like a life sim game in the kind of in the vein of Animal Crossing. And it has been in early access on Xbox and PC. And now soon, summer 2022 on Switch. Woohoo! But yeah, so there's, I mean, we don't want to go over every single game that was in the showcase, but those were a couple highlights for me. Is there any others that you would like to call out? No, man. I think there's just, you know, I just want to be transparent. I haven't watched the showcase yet, ladies and gentlemen. So while Andrea's talking about this, I'm scrolling through the stories and I'm like, okay, Lamb, I called it Lamb of God again. Jeez Louise, take a shot every time I call it (laughs) Lamb of God. I'm going to have to listen to their music as penance after this. Um, I'm going to get more shots, man. All I have is this beer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey man, beer is good. Cult of the Lamb, Ooblets, and then yeah, the other one we talked about. But thing is, it was at 7 a.m., Andrea, and I was up until 2 this morning trying to get some work done, you know, and then you're up because your kid's babbling at 6.30 in the morning, and then you want to go back to bed and you can't. Nope. <sighs> nope. But it's okay. This is the life now, Brittany. Go Nintendo. But I know this was their first indie showcase since December, so it's been yeah, a while. It's, it's, it's been a hot minute. They were, so They were a deal. Coming out a good time when they're going to obviously try to promote some of the stuff that's coming out this summer. The summer is just around the corner. Can you believe we are halfway through May already? Um, So speaking of Nintendo games kind of pivoting away from indies more into their triple A's, we got some information from financial results that they released earlier this week. And it looks like, fingers crossed, Bayonetta 3 may in fact launch in 2022. But don't hold your breath for Metroid Prime 4 or that Advanced Wars remake. <laughs> so, Yeah, I know, right? Over at Game Informer, they write that Nintendo has released their fi- financial results for the 2021 to 22 fiscal. And it revealed numbers for games like Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which we'll talk about in a second. But according to their expected launch schedule, it looks like Bayonetta 3 is still aiming for a release on Switch. And I think I agree with the author of this article in saying that's especially exciting because the game went dark after its 2017 reveal wow. until last September when it reemerged with a dazzling first look gameplay trailer. Yeah. Which was... Yeah, why don't I, in fact, pull that uh, gameplay trailer up so we can take a look at it. Let's do it. I'm not surprised about Prime 4. Um, The Advance Wars situation is a little bit more complicated. I feel like at least with Metroid Prime, we have they've been pretty quiet this whole time. So it's like 
whenever right. we actually get some actual news. But the Advance War stuff, like they had a date and then it got pushed and then there was some complications with some of the um, stuff happening with the war in Ukraine and mm -hmm. it looks like it's just like a big old mess. So that's also another big TBD on, on that one. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad. See, this is why I like to play games like Pokemon, Andrea. I like to immerse myself in those and pretend that this big bad world out there doesn't exist. But you have to acknowledge it because that's how shit changes. But anyway. It's true. Bayonetta 3. Hell yeah. Give me this. I am in such need for this kind of game right now. It kind of scratches the same sort of itch that the Yakuza games do for me. Just so over the top. Just so outrageous. Half the time, nothing makes sense. But you don't even care because you're having so much fun. And I am so excited to turn this on baby ass, baby mode, and just button mash my way through the game and feel yes. like a badass because the combat is so fun. Even if you don't know what you're doing in Bayonetta, you still pull off all these amazing combos. And she does all these crazy, like, Gumby-like moves with her body. And you're like, oh, my God, how does she do that? I can't even touch my toes. But her leg is, like, behind her head and her hair is over her body and she's naked. And it just makes you feel like a badass. I need this game right now. I really hope it comes out. Same. Um, I really yeah. enjoyed the first two. I played them again on the Switch when they put out those ports. So if you guys haven't played the first two Bayonetta games, you can get them in the eShop right now and, and play them and have a grand old time. Yeah, so we have other 2022 releases that are actually expected to come this year. Mario Strikers Battle League, June 10th. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, July 29th. Splatoon 3, September 9th. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are listed as late 2022. That's the one that I hope, hope, hope makes it. I mean, I imagine it will. I, I mean, we don't typically hear, and I can't think of anything off the top of the dome, where Pokemon gets delayed. Yeah. I, I mean, did Arceus get delayed? Arceus? I can't even remember. I think it did. I don't even know, honestly, anymore. Mm. It's all one big blur. But yeah, like I keep forgetting we're getting Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. That's like the big, that's the big bad boy. But I think that and Xenoblade Chronicles 3 for me are what I'm most excited about. Splatoon 3 has just never really done it for me. Mario Strikers doesn't really do it for me either. But um, yeah, I think they have a good little lineup. You know, it's maybe if this lineup had come out last year, I'd be like, where's my more Zeldas? Where's my blah, blah, blah. I don't need more games right now, Andrea Renee. Nope. Ain't got time. Keep nope. on delaying everything. Everything yes. is delayed until I can catch up. The backlog is overflowing. <laughs> Don't know what I'm going to do about it. Um, I did want to just quickly call out those sales numbers that I mentioned about Pokemon. So according to Game Informer, the recent Generation 4 Sunno remakes, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, have already sold in less than a year 14.65 million units, despite just releasing last November. The remakes weren't the only new Pokemon games, of course. Uh, Pokemon Legends, as you mentioned, Arceus hit the Switch in January and has sold 12.6 million units. So collectively, oh. Pokemon has done over 27 million units of new titles in the last calendar year. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I, yeah. You know, I I've said my piece on Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. I've <laughs> I've had my rage moments. I am I am 
I am just going to drink my whiskey right now. No, okay, here's the thing. Real, I'm not trying to poo-poo on anyone. If you had a great time with these games, I'm incredibly happy for you. I am thrilled for you. If I could do backflips, I would do backflips for you. But it's just that reinforcing of you could literally, I could be the Pokemon company. I could take a huge jump in a diamond box and be like, here's this beautiful diamond box. It's beautiful. Open it up. Wait till you see the contents that's inside. And you open it and it's my big dump. And someone's going to be like, I'm going to buy 12 million units of those or 14 million units of those. Why? It's shit. Well, it's Britney's shit. So therefore, no matter what, it's good shit. You know what I mean? Same sort of logic. It's fucked up. Do better. Yeah, what she said. That's right. Moving on to more Nintendo news because there's just so much Nintendo news. Um, uh. Nintendo has announced that it has sold 235 million games for Switch in the financial year 2021, the highest number sold in a single year in the company's history. In its earnings report, the company explained that software sales, both for first and third-party games, rose by 1.8% year-on-year, and it says the, it's the highest annual software sales figure ever posted for a Nintendo platform to date. Wow. So, 234 Switch... million units of those were Pokemon, apparently. <laughs> I guess. Almost all of them were Pokemon. That's the only thing people <laughs> bought on their Switch, apparently, in 2021. Switch hardware... <laughs> Didn't fare quite as well as the incredibly successful consoles' high standards. Between then, the three between them with an M, three Switch mm-hmm. models sold 23 million units. Yeah, I mean 23 million units. Come on, Nintendo, you can do better. Do better, you slackers. Why don't you put out some incredible, freaking impressive hardware? What are you doing with your life? You're failing. <gasps> so ridiculous. And so then oh the comparison God. number makes more sense. PS5 yeah. sold 11.5 in the same period. And it's a 20% drop from fiscal 2020. But as far as I've seen, people are still on the struggle bus trying to get their hands on PS5s. Like they still are not just widely available like they would normally be Mm-mm. because that global chip shortage still happening. Still thing. Yep. That's what Nintendo blamed their drop on, too, which is like, I'm not saying blamed as like an ass. This legit. Yeah, the shortage of the semiconductor components and the lack of games that drives hardware sales in the same way that Animal Crossing New Horizons did for 2020. Makes yeah. sense. I mean, I can even, I'm just for shits, I always like to visit the video game aisle whenever I'm in an actual like physical store, um, you know, not Amazon.com. And I can never find, yeah, I mean, obviously PS5s and Xbox, you can't find those anywhere, but even Switches, you can't find. At least I haven't been able to because my dad was looking for, I mean, I got him one eventually, but he was looking for an OLED and I was always looking and no, you can't find that shit. People still want them. They're selling hotcakes. People were bored during the pandemic. Played a lot of video yeah. games. Bought a lot of video games. Yeah. Yeah. They're <sighs> continuing their wo- world domination. Um, well, we all... Well, we are going to talk more about Nintendo a little bit later on the show when we chat with the one and only Reggie fils who, of course, was the former president of Nintendo of North America. But for now, we're going to move on to soon. I don't know why I'm so struggling to talk today. Girl, oh, maybe it's because, because we've I was up like until three hours three, of sleep. I was up until three thirty in the morning. Uh, uh, with yeah, my baby, that might have been it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good reason. <laughs> for now, we're going to move on to some other news. Everybody, we have more news. News is a thing in abundance that we have for you today. Moving on to the next story, EA has explained more about why it's dropping the FIFA license. So this story broke after the episode posted last week, and it's kind of a big deal, Britt, that FIFA and EA are parting ways after almost 30 years. So if you guys didn't see the news... 
Um, the original story was that the FIFA license is going to be leaving exclusivity with EA. Aside from the name change, the lack of a licensing deal means that there could be some changes to the tried and true FIFA formula. So infamously, or famously, I guess you could say, FIFA is the de facto crown in the, or jewel, I should say, in the crown aboard EA's publishing head. It mm -hmm. makes more money than any other title that they have, and it sells lots and lots of copies every single year. It's always in the top sales, particularly in the European markets. So this was kind of like a big shock to learn that this exclusivity period was ending. Mm -hmm. But I know, Britt, you're not big into football or soccer, as it were, as far as being a professional sports no. fan. Would you say that that's correct? You're more of like an American football person. Yeah, American football. And I mean, I do love some soccer. I played soccer for the majority of my life, but I don't really just watch it professionally. But when I saw this headline, because I was out last week, you know, living life, and I just read about this a few days ago, I was like, holy shit. That is a big deal. And I think the part about this, because, you know, they go into why why the, there was a split, blah, 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 blah. This is from this bullet point. The deal with FIFA is set to end partially because of money. It was previously reported that FIFA upped the price of its license to over $1 billion per four-year World Cup cycle. Holy crap, Andrea Renee. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Uh, I got to be 100% honest and transparent. There was another article I read where, oh, who was talking here? Dave, was it David Jackson, perhaps? I was saying that when you think of FIFA, you think of the video game. You don't think of the actual, like, body FIFA. And I was like, what? what, what is FIFA? I didn't even know what FIFA was outside of the video game. The Federation. I just having, right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying, though. And it's to, to, so to his point, like, he's 100% correct. Like, oh, I don't know what it is. So I just thought that was just kind of interesting. Um, but I think what the point of that statement, though, is that it means that they can charge EA what they right. want. And EA either needs to pony up or they can easily find another publisher to come in and take that license. I'm sure Take-Two Interactive would be happy to pay that price. Well, I mean, they wouldn't be happy to pay. Let's be clear. $250 million a year in licensing fees is no chump change. So ridiculous. But, I mean, the game makes a ton of money, right? And right. it's infamous for its microtransactions, but as I've mentioned previously, the microtransactions clearly haven't stopped people from buying the game and buying stuff inside the game. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to see. Uh, the other bullet point says that while EA will lose the rights to the FIFA name, the company has signed up 19,000 athletes, 700 teams, 100 stadiums, and over 30 leagues, including the Premier League, La Liga, UFA, and others so you can expect to see real team names and players so i think like the insinuation here is that ea sports is going to continue to make a football slash soccer game but they're gonna call it something else and then EA you'll sports still see FC. you'll still see these faces these actual real world stadiums etc cetera, etc cetera, which i think is really going to be interesting to see how that I'm pans out Exactly. I'm really excited to see these numbers. So yeah, they're calling it the EA Sports FC. And then EA CEO Andrew Wilson was talking a little bit on why they made the decision. And I thought this was kind of interesting. So he said, when we think about the future of football right now, I think he meant soccer. We really made this decision on the basis of being able to deliver experiences that our players wanted. They told us they 
wanted more modalities of play. They told us they wanted to see more commercial partners in the game that are representative and authentic to the broad global world of football. They're telling us that they want to move beyond just the core experience and really build out this digital football experience. And they're telling us they want us to move really, really fast. Okay. That's like translation for we see an avenue to make more money. And so we're just going to go do this thing. I mean, I don't know. I just think it's funny. I mean, I... Is this like a survey they conducted? Like, what, what, where are the players like emailing them? Be like, Andrew Wilson, we want you to move really, really fast because we want to have authentic representation of football in our games. Have you been to this little website, Brittany, called Reddit? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Touche. Yeah, okay. Not that I would suggest you go to the FIFA Reddit, but if you want to define these opinions, (laughs) there is a place where they are. Okay. you know, that is, is a totally fair and valid counter to what I just said. And you are probably 100% correct. Oh, <laughs> yes, don't, I have real, been real talk. Don't go to that Reddit. It's, it's, it's not a is safe it bad? place. And I'm curious. I feel like you're like I'm Simba and you're Scar telling me never to go beyond the land or whatever. And now it's, I want to. It's almost like that. It's okay. almost like that. But I don't have the intentions that Scar did. I don't want you to die, Brittany. Don't go to the FIFA subreddit. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, <laughs> while we're talking about EA, I'm just going to jump ahead a little for a second, then we'll double back. Um, I have an In Case You Missed It bullet point. Electronic Arts has announced that it has partnered with Middle Earth Enterprises to develop a new free-to-play mobile game hmm. based on the Lord of the Rings called The Lord of the Rings Heroes of Middle Earth. So I... Like all of my like little antennas went up when uh-huh. I got this press release because it instantly took me back to my kabam days of the Hobbit Kingdoms of Middle Earth when I was in three separate alliances playing this mobile game probably 12 to 15 hours a day and spending obscene amounts of money and I was like oh no what am I gonna do about this am I excited (laughs) about this or am I nervous about this I I don't know I don't know how to feel about (laughs) how to feel about it um I'm gonna try to pull up the the trailer here so we can so we can take a look at it so while she's doing that this game is described as a collectible role-playing game that brings the fantasy Lord of the Rings to a strategic social competitive experience on mobile devices EA says Heroes of Middle-Earth is the newest addition to its expanding mobile portfolio and will be developed by EA's Capital Games, which is the studio behind Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Cool. I mean, I think more Lord of the Rings. I know that makes nerds like you very happy. Yes. Um, I did see a lot of people shitting on this, though. And do you think it's because of the knee-jerk reaction of free-to-play mobile? I think so. I mean, I... You know, as we discuss in our interview a little bit later on in the show with Reggie, like that free to play, I think just has connotations to people Mm -hmm. and obviously was done really poorly for a long time. But there's also a lot of people doing free to play really well. And this this game, actually, I'm mistaken. I thought there was a new trailer. There is not. (laughs) Um, But once there is one, we will take a look at it on the show because I will be watching that with very interested eyes. Um, The thing to me that this sound, this literally just sounds like that game that I used to play because it says... 
It will feature immersive storytelling, turn-based combat, deep collection systems, and a wide roster of characters across the vast universe. So I'm reading from the press release on EA's website. It says, battle through iconic stories. Um, so I think that people just get upset, first off. Anything to do with Tolkien and the Tolkien estate like, is going to bring out you know, the fandom to come and you know, police, try to police it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think people sometimes forget that the Middle Earth Enterprises and Tolkien's estate like has a pretty firm grip on a lot of this stuff. And I sure some of the games are better or worse than others, but there hasn't been any that are like at least that I've experienced that are like complete shit or like really egregious. And I don't think we're no any longer in an era where free to play equals egregious microtransactions. I think we've seen lots of games that are free to play that have shown that it can be done really well and that their community can thrive. Look at Fortnite. Look at Apex Legends, right? Even, mm-hmm. you know, some games that are in the mobile sphere that are continuing to be successful. I mean, even something like Call of Duty Mobile, right? And I think people get up in arms before they have all the details because it's the cool thing to do to be angry on the internet. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Don't shit on this before it comes out. Not that I need this habit to be formed in my life. I don't have time, but I really want to hope that it's going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Just what you need, baby girl. (sighs) Yes. Anywho, um, the story that we skipped over just quickly here is that Ubisoft confirms that Avatar, Mario Rabbids, and Skull and Bones will launch this fiscal year. Let me make sure I put that word in there because it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to launch this calendar year but fiscal does mean it's at least within the next 12 months so that's important so it's funny because over at Eurogamer they wrote can you believe that after nearly a decade of development we're less than 12 months away from the launch of Skull and Bones ah I honestly like don't even know what to think about this game anymore I don't know I don't if we're to recognize it will it be the same game who could say I feel like it can't be the same game. When was that debuted? After, I'm trying to remember, was it, uh, I'm trying to see if they have it in the story. I don't see it. I remember being in the audience for that press conference and Skull and Bones popping up. And I remember for a hot minute, I thought maybe it was like a Black Flag sequel or something like that, which um, was is Jason's favorite Assassin's Creed game. So I was vicariously excited for him. But I remember it it was, it ended up being Skull and Bones. And I was like, what is this? Okay, like I can see the potential. But man, since then, it has just gone dark, and I feel like, you know, a game that has been debuted that long ago, there have been so many technological changes, the industry has come and gone through fads and what works and what doesn't work. There's no way that can be the same game that it once was. So right. it's going to be really interesting. 2017, by the way. God, it feels like so much longer than that. <laughs> right? I mean, it um, really so does. I, I do want to show this leaked footage that um, was circulating the internet. So let me show you guys. Okay. So this is on... Um, this is from Twitter, um, but essentially this is just like a tiny little, tiny little teaser. Wait, no, that can't be it. That's not the leaked footage. Where's the leaked footage? Is that was it gone? crisp for leaked footage. Ooh, maybe it's gone. Hold on. Uh, Where's the did, footage? Is this did the Daddy Ubisoft pull it? Hmm, maybe. Hmm. God, 2017. I could have sworn it was way. But I guess no, not. this is from 2018. That's not what I want. Dang. And it was she wants she wants something else. 
Okay, Ooh, and then maybe it's on maybe it's on Reddit. It? You keep reading that. Okay, you keep reading. And I'll try to find it. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's see. Where are we? So we talked about Skull and Bones. Also today, oh here's the article. Today Ubisoft reconfirmed it would indeed see the light of day this financial year. Okay, before April first, twenty twenty three. So that's the date we were talking about. Also up this year, finally, is Ubisoft's Avatar. Wow, Frontiers of Pandora. That's another one. It was announced more than five years ago. Uh huh. As with Skull and Bones, there's no official release date for Avatar: Frontiers of Pandora, though we'd expect it to arrive around the same time as the up year. Oh yeah, as the upcoming Avatar film sequel. That makes sense, which is due in December. And finally, there's Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope, the highly anticipated sequel to Ubisoft Milan's brilliant Switch exclusive turn-based strategy game. As with the above titles, it's set to arrive at some point before next April. But will it be out before or after Christmas? Interesting. I, I, maybe it's just because these like games aren't, you know, I'm not the target audience. I think I think Avatar could be really fun, depending on like if it's an action adventure. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I'd have to do my research. Let I'm a bad me podcast show co-host. you what it is. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like for these games to come out in the next year, the marketing really has to start pumping for this because there's just unless I'm unless I'm in my own little bubble, which I could be. I just feel like there no one's talking about this shit. But we'll I see. think people are talking about it in select circles, but we obviously want like release dates and more details and preferably some hands-on previews um, before we can, you know, get excited about it. Like Avatar looks real pretty. I love the colors. I love the I love the way it looks. Yeah, so it's in the Snowdrop engine, which is the engine from the division. Of course, this is mm-hmm. being developed by Massive, I believe. Um, so that would make sense. And I think that this game looks real cool. So, and I'm I know people were kind of like blah blah on the move or on the the trailer, being like, oh, it's been too long, whatever. And I'm like, I'm uh, I'm all in. Let's go. Oh yeah, I don't agree with that. I think yeah, I don't think it's been too long. I think it's it can be different enough where if you approach it from a specific angle, you know, you can appeal to people who even haven't seen the movie. It depends on, like I said, the gameplay and what kind of game it is and how much of an Avatar nerd do you need to be to enjoy it. And can you connect tails and bang? I don't know. <laughs> I imagine that that will be in the game at least at some point. Oh, right? my God. I hope so. Cutscene at least? Come on. Come on. Let's see. <laughs> Cutscene. Uh, but cool. we'll obviously keep an eye on these and hopefully we will um, get some release dates soon. But speaking of The Division, they announced a free-to-play version uh, named Heartland um, is no. They announced a uh, expansion coming for the division two. Oh, we don't have details on the free to play version. Okay, yes. that's cool. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna go back mm-hmm. to the division? You think? No. I mean, lol, with our current lives, well, but I mean, in a, in a in a better world, yes. Yeah. In a world that I had a time turner and I could literally, you know, go back in time and relive parts back of days. And turn back time. But no, sadly, I don't think that's in the cards. Oh, so that game is giant. It's like 150 gigabytes. Who's got space on their hard drive for that? Oh, yeah, (laughs) not not me. me. Um, One last, in case you missed it, before we head into the first break. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Brittany, is now the most successful video game movie of all time. Well, at least by box office numbers. Having now earned more than $331 million at the global box office, it is now one of the highest grossing video game movies of all time. Funnily enough, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 took the record from Sonic the Hedgehog, which held the <laughs> record after earning $319.7 million back in 2020. This is wow. another movie I haven't seen yet because I haven't gone to a movie theater because baby. 
Baby. I also heard, speaking of video game, movie, film, et cetera, et cetera, that this week we're getting a look at Netflix's Resident Evil, Andrea Renee. You don't say. I heard that's what's happening. And that's, again, friends, the one with Albert Wesker and his two children. And there's, like, the time skip and, oh, no, the daughters find out that their daddy is evil. Like, no shit, he's fucking Albert Wesker. He's a monster. Anyway, that's just another little, like, tidbit of info that I wanted to toss out there because maybe it'll actually happen. I think it's going to be a hot mess, but I'm very excited for it. Nice. Yeah. Well, we'll keep our eyes peeled, Britt. But for the moment, we are going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have been playing some video games. It's very exciting. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the second segment of the What's Good Games podcast, where we talk about what we've been playing and any events we may or may not have been to. But first, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Zavi. This week, we are teaming up with Zavi, the home of pop culture goodies that you can buy from the comfort of your couch. Whether you are looking to buy music, DVDs, consoles, Blu-rays, including steelbooks and other electronic items, you can be sure that Zavi has a huge collection to choose from. Check out their new collections for the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, or maybe you're more of a Star Wars fan. They've got exclusive products to celebrate the 45th anniversary of the franchise, along with the upcoming launch of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Get your witch and wizard vibes on with the Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness collection, which is launching soon. The latest issue of The Lowdown, Zavi's free digital monthly magazine about all things pop culture, is also now available. The Lowdown is your go-to place for all things film, TV, and gaming, featuring exclusive interviews about the biggest titles and features that take a deeper look at beloved classics. In this month's edition, they go behind the scenes on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, the upcoming Star Wars show Obi-Wan Kenobi, Pixar's Lightyear, Horror Dashcam, and much more. If you're a Zavi Red Carpet member, you'll receive a bumper edition featuring exclusive artwork, bonus articles, and more special offers on site. Now, Zavi also has a wide plethora of Resident Evil goodies, and I had to jump all over that. So I have a few things of show and tell. Everyone knows I love show and tell. I was really good at it. In elementary school, I once brought a chestnut to show and tell. Fun story. Anyway, I have literally a chestnut. No one cared about my chestnut. I was really sad about it. But I have here... I'm so burned about it this day. Um, a Resident Evil 2 Unicorn Medallion. And so what's really cool about this is it is the Unicorn Medallion that you can get in Resident Evil 2. If you may or may not remember, you have to collect three of these things, Andrew. You have to collect the Unicorn, the Lion, and the Maiden. And what you do is it helps you escape the police station once you've collected all three. But what I love about it, on the back, there's only 5,000 of these worldwide. It's marked with a number, and it comes with a nifty little stand. I have always loved these sorts of things because it makes me feel like I'm actually in the game. Because I've talked about if I could go in any game, I would go in Resident Evil because I'd want to try to survive. I just love it so much. Not that any of you don't know that already. So this is fun. And it's actual metal. Feel that. Or you can hear it. The other thing I got, which I'm like really, really giddy about, is I got this magnet bottle opener, but it's a stars badge. This is one of those moments where I'm really happy that my husband doesn't care about, uh, you know, things flowing in the kitchen and things matching because now we're going to have a Resident Evil bottle opener on the refrigerator and it's probably my favorite thing at all. Anywho, they also have so many cool statues and other sorts of little trinkets. So if you're a nerd like me and you want to check out some of their Resident Evil stuff, I would highly, highly, highly recommend you do. I also have some fun Dragon Ball Z. I have a whole bunch of cool stuff that I'll 
I'll have to show you sooner or later. Go to Zavi.com to check out all of their latest products and releases. Use code WGG to get 20% off of the clothing or 10% off of the other items on the site. That is Z-A-V-V-I.com and use code WGG to get 20% off of clothing or 10% off of other fun stuff to fill out your nerdy collections like me. Exclusions may apply. Literally brought a chestnut to show and tell because I thought it was the coolest fucking thing ever. You are my personal hero because you appreciate the simple things in life. I mean, they're really cool. They're like these little spiky balls. And then on the end, try, try to kill you. And then on the inside is this really smooth nut. Nature. It's a wonder. <laughs> yeah. Never ceases to uh, amaze. No. Oh, speaking of things that are amazing, we've been playing some video games, everybody. And if you follow one at Blonde Nerd on Twitter, you may have seen her hint, nay, confirm that, yes, she has indeed started her journey into the land of forgotten. Or the Forgotten Lands is what, what they're called. Uh, she's playing Elden Ring, everybody. <laughs> I am. Holy crap. I, uh, you know, hearing you talk about it and hearing literally the entire industry talk about it, it's like, I got I got to do this. And I think I talked about this a few weeks ago where I saw Jason play it for a little bit. He, at that point, had turned off from it. But I was like, God, this looks good. Like, just getting out in the world and exploring. Like, that part looked good. Getting your ass kicked didn't look so good. But I went to the old internet, and I was like, where are the best farming spots? How can I grind? How can I live my best life in this game? I want to feel OP. And, you know, you had given me the, the very helpful warning that, like, listen, you, you can get powerful, but you're never going to feel OP. Like, if you're in Final Fantasy and you're level 99, beating on some, like, level 2 noobs, you know? Um, and that was really good advice. And so I started playing and Jason started playing and he and I started off in the little noob area. Um, I can't even remember the names of like anything, but it's by a gate. I think it might be the North Gate or it's under some gate. And it's where the big troll guy like jumps down towards the beginning of the game. Um, there's a whole bunch of soldiers there that you can farm. So I was like, OK. I'm going to try and I'm going to farm a bit and I'm going to try to get powerful and then I'm going to try to proceed on my own and see how I do. Spoilers, I did not do well. I got to the, not Godric, who's the person before that? Um, um, you're, thinking, first. you're thinking of, um, it starts with an M. Mar. Yeah, it starts with an M. Okay, hold on. Elden Ring Bosses. Uh yeah, I, I can't find their names now. That's just terrible. Oh my gosh. How do I not how do I not know what this guy's name is? Margaret. Margaret, thank you. Yes, got to Margaret. My bad. And <laughs> I attempted to go after Margaret and I was and, oh girl, when I tell you I've I've never felt more defeated in my life. Oh, oh no. I so okay, so here's the thing. I was like, this is out there's no way. How the hell am I supposed to do this? Like, I'm not gonna have the patience for this. I almost rage quit right then and there. Yeah. But then again, I, I was like, okay, so if Jason and I can play together, how does how does that look? What does that look like? Um, what are the pros? What are the cons? Okay, so we found a way to work around that. And essentially what we're doing now is we are playing together. And we've played pretty much the entire game together from Margaret after, well, since Margaret after. Uh, how we have to do it, though, is, as you know, you have to lay down your finger. It's so fucking weird. Someone has to put down their detector, and then you jump into their game, whatever. Um, and then we have to essentially just duplicate 
everything we do on each person's game. So I don't like losing runes. That's where I know I'm going to rage quit. So the first time we explore anywhere or we do every anything, we always do it on Jason's game because if he dies, he loses his runes. If I die, I don't lose anything. And so I feel like I'm kind of getting like a hall pass. That I can like go out, like I can be aggressive. I can uh, face tank all I want because I'm putting all of my points into vigor and strength and a little bit of endurance. And I'm obviously trying to tank as much as I can. Um, and, you know, we explore on his, we defeat the enemies. I get runes, I level up, cool. And then, you know, he gets all the sights of grace on his. And then by the time it's my turn, to invite him into my game and make progress, we know where to go, we know what to expect, and there's little to no casualties at that point. We also found a really good farming spot that's to like the tippity top northwest, northeast of the map. I don't know what it is, but you can farm these little guys. You get a thousand runes yeah, per kill. The bestiary. Yeah, me. Yeah, and we. I know um, what you're talking yes, about. The little, the yeah, little, that's it. The little guys with little like they're like hooded. You have to. You can. Kill them pretty easily if you sneak attack them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so Jason's playing as, an I think he did the astrologer. So he's a, doing all the sorcery That's what shit. I did. See? And so we were a really good combo because he's able to shoot shit from afar. And able, and then he aggroes the bad dudes and I'm able to attack him. Anyway, so we're both like level like 45 at this point. So we're like, oh, so you're we're making pretty some good progress. Oh, yeah, we're pretty beefy. Um, you know, we haven't had any major... I mean, obviously, Godric and Margaret were pretty difficult for us. But other than that, we found a pretty good way, as you mentioned, to cheese it. And there's just... It's just so funny because I'm loving it so much, but I never thought I would. And I think, though, with the caveat is I need to be slightly OP. I need to... I like to play it first where we go through Jason's game. So I know what to expect on my game. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And so, and I, and we're trying to find better gear. We're going on specific quests to find better armor, better weapons. You know, we took down the, um, I think there was the two trolls carrying the carriage that had the really badass axe in it in the background. So I got that. So that's been helpful. We farmed some guys for armor. So there's definitely different ways to play this game, and I think that's something that has helped me a lot. Is I, I see now why people can go through and they can take the challenge, they can get their ass kicked repeatedly over and over again. That happened to me in the beginning, but I've taken steps since then to make sure like it doesn't really happen all that much. And if it does happen, it's just at the major bosses, which like okay, cool, you just keep trying again. But it's never been overly frustrating, except for that one part with Margaret. So I'm just pleased to say that I have found a way to play Elden Ring that has made it an enjoyable experience for me. And you know what it reminds me of, and I think this is partly why I love it so much, is it reminds me of Outward. Remember me talking about that game? Yes, yes, I do. Yes, and what I love it loved about Outward is. It just drops you off in the middle of a land, in the middle of the world. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, have fun. Good luck. And it's also the same thing if, if when you die, you have to go back and get your stuff. But the combat isn't nearly as punishing as Elden Ring. But it's that sense of exploration. It's that sense of scale that you had talked about before. And it's just so well done. And it's so pretty that we're having a fantastic time playing it. But there are those limitations of the, why is the co-op the way it is? You know, why would you build certain systems into the way that, the way that you are? And I think that's... Those questions are not a, a right. good use of your time. <laughs> no, and that's, and that's... But those are the questions going through my mind when I'm playing it. And I'm like, I, I can't say definitively, like, I, I don't know if I could give this game, like, game of the year, because I know this is why the, how the game is developed, but... It's just so weird. And I get, like, 
I did a poll and I was like, okay, people who follow me on Twitter, how many of you are playing co-op and how many of you are not? And like only 10% of people play co-op as often as they can. So I know I'm in the minority, which is why they're not catering to me. And I get that. Yeah. But I just feel like my hope would be that maybe enough people would express how much fun they're having playing co-op in Elden Ring that the next game, the next iteration will have a more streamlined process. But we'll see. Anyway, like never thought I would say, hey, I'm enjoying the shit out of Elden Ring. But here we are. I never, okay, I didn't never think that you would say that because I do think that this style of game is something that you would be, that you would be into, I mean, with its kind of dark fantasy vibes, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. I think, though, what I thought you guys might struggle with, which it doesn't seem like you're having any issues, which is great to hear, is the co-op. I've just found, like, it to be not a frictionless experience, which I don't need to go into again, right? I compared Mm -hmm. it to Animal Crossing, how, like, it's still a lot of fun, but broken fun, but still fun. Um, and, you know, I know that they've been patching the game and making some advancements. And I think, you know, people are hopeful that there may be DLC. Um, but there's obviously, like, plenty of stuff in the game to just play now. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad we should, uh, we should maybe play together. Yeah, girl. My, I will say. My character ahead. on Xbox, though, was pretty smurfy. <laughs> Is there a crossplay? There is not crossplay. I wish there was. There is not. Um, Because I moved my gameplay over to PlayStation to play with some people over there. So I do have a save on Xbox, but it's, I think I'm only like level 15 or something. Uh, See, listen, I'm a big badass OP uh, Elden Ring character, baby girl. Let me carry you. (laughs) I will say, though, when people invade your game and you kick their ass, it is the most satisfying feeling in the entire world. I think we've been invaded probably like a dozen times. We've only lost to two invaders, and it has just been fantastic. Oh, good. I'm glad. And I admit, I teabag them after I kill them. I mean, as you do. They're the ones who came at you and, you know, lost. So, yeah. It's on them. Oh, it's, it's, it's just like, yeah, I get it. I understand why people, why people like it. There, it. There's some moments in this game where I'm like, wow, it really stuck with me. Like early on, there's this like little NPC and she's recanting, uh, she's recounting something that happened to her. And she's just telling the story of how everyone fought for her. Everyone died for her. And now they're all gone and she's all alone, blah, blah, blah. She's in a shack holed up somewhere. And for some reason, I can't get her out of my head. I want to know what her story is because I feel like she's been in an RPG I played before. Like not her specifically, but you know, like how you go through like 40 hours of an RPG trying to like, for like Zelda. Let's talk about Zelda. You're always trying to save Zelda's ass. Everyone's fighting for Zelda. Blah, blah. But in this case, it's a failed attempt at keeping this bitch alive. And now she's holed up in a shack dying. You don't know her backstory. Anyway. Whew. Man. You went into a narrative a, black hole there for a second. I did. Because it's been with me. and I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it. Well, that's the thing anyway, about Elden Ring, playing. why everybody, I think, was talking about it and why it was all over Twitter and Reddit and TikTok and literally everywhere is because people just re- got its hooks into people. And it's died down a bit because I think there's a lot of people in my feed, at least, that have platinumed it, it and moved on. Yeah. Um, yeah not yeah. that there's like a lot to move on to in this particular moment of time, but um, it absolutely had zeitgeist in a way we haven't seen in a long time for a video game that's really crossed different circles of gamers that I know. It feels like mm-hmm. everybody like wanted to dip their toes in, even if they knew full stop that it wasn't going to be the game for them. They're like, I just got to see and make sure. Because like, yeah. what if it is the game for me? And some people had their minds changed, but a lot of people didn't. At least right. people who went in knowing that they thought it was not going to be their thing. 
obviously people who are like, I love Soulsborne games have never had a bounty of gameplay riches as they have with Elden Ring. But we should try to play together. It would be fun. And by I say we we should try. We never really got to play together before babies. But who knows? Maybe the babies have changed everything. Um, well, I did get a break from my baby for a couple of nights while dad was on duty to play some of the new no build mode in Fortnite. Okay. So this is a game I haven't played in literal years. I think when I logged in, I was like, mm, I probably haven't played this game in like three years, maybe four years. My banner is still the Paragon logo, which oh. um, Paragon and I didn't have anything on my account. I did have some V-Bucks like left over from wherever I got them from in Save the World or, or whatnot. Wow. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Immediately spend them all on the Scarlet Witch Pack from Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Oh, but she looks so cool in the game. So they launched. I have a little trailer here. From yeah. the Fortnite YouTube channel. So they launched No Build Mode a, a few weeks back. And I think it's really reinvigorated the player base for people that have abandoned the game because they just can't be bothered with the building. Because Battle Royale mm -hmm. clearly has gone in a bunch of different directions since Fortnite was popularized, you know, in the wake, of course, of PUBG. And I think the build mode is important to Fortnite's legacy and clearly is an identity for them. But in order to keep their player base healthy, it was a really smart move for them to say, hey, we know that you guys love the style of Fortnite. You love the skins. You have fun with your friends on the map and all the different tidbits of lore, but you just don't like to deal with all of the resources and building. And so we're just going to take that barrier quite literally away from you and let you just have fun in on the map with your friends. And that's what I did. I played with Rihanna and Joey Noel, and our friend Beasley. Um, shout out to Lauren. And we had a really great time just playing in the world. And I felt like such a noob. And he, Joey oh. did some really great hand-holding because she's been playing a lot um, with the guys over at Kind of Funny. And so she was kind of like my my Sherpa into to Fortnite Battle Royale. And it's, um, it was fun. I had a really great time. And did I buy... Another pack of V-Bucks so I could get the battle pass that I'm probably never going to finish. Yes, I did. I have <laughs> but a in the moment, it felt good, right? Yeah. So when you were playing it, did you have that moment of like now, I mean, not that we didn't know, but this moment of I see why this is the cultural phenomenon it is. Did it blow you away with the gameplay? Did it all kind of like make sense? And I asked because I know, like you said, it has been years since you've played. Um, to be honest, no. <laughs> okay. No, like that's the answer I would expect, honestly. Yeah. If I didn't have a crew of people that I really love playing with, I don't think no build mode would have gotten me to go back. But it's tough to know if that's because of Fortnite as a game or of the nature of multiplayer team-based things Anyway, even though technically Battle Royale is a solo endeavor, I just was only playing in squad mode. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the criticisms I had of the game still exist. And my criticisms don't mean that the game is bad. It just means that it's not for me. Like, I just don't prefer the way that the guns handle in that game because it intentionally is meant to feel a little bit more cartoony 
more approachable for kids, more approachable for a younger audience. It's not based in realism, right? There's a lot of fantasy, cartoon fantasy elements to that game intentionally, right? Like that's what they were going for. And in that essence, they nailed it. I mean, they have done a really great job of building fun lore tidbits into the world, making all kinds of cool weapons and customizable parts of not only what you're wearing, but your glider and your backpack and your pickaxe and all that stuff, right? And I think No Build Mode did a great job of keeping some elements of environmental destruction in the game without requiring people to like carry around a bunch of different mats of crafting elements in order to build things in the world so taking that out was nice um the vehicles in the game are great but all i kept thinking and please don't hate me all my friends at epic because fortnite is clearly a good game the hundreds of millions of people playing around the world prove it i just kept wanting to play warzone i was like if i'm playing a battle royale right now i want to be in warzone i just think it's a superior battle royale experience for me as a shooter fan because i like gunplay and I play a lot of different kinds of shooters and the gunplay just doesn't feel good to me in Fortnite so that's where I'm at with it all right interesting I mean yeah it just feels a little floaty and like the reticules are all weird and I don't know I just yeah and I mean I'm not I'm not trying to discredit what Fortnite as a game as a core game I think what Epic really has going for them is they were one of the first and the way they capitalize and implement Everything they've done and the way they've kept that game alive, I think, is really why they have stood out beyond the rest and why they have. And I mean, obviously, like the art style and the cartoon aspect of it, like you said, probably appeals to a much different demographic than like the one that you're a part of in terms of like you like the the war zone and the more realistic gunplay and et cetera, et cetera. So that's just kind of interesting because I Jason actually has been playing Fortnite with his friend who lives somewhere in Europe. I don't know. They're always moving. Um but I was watching them play it, and I'm like, this looks cool. And I know everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people have fun with it. But it's not, like, making me want to play. It's not, like, blowing me away or anything. But then I think, like I said, you got to step back and look at what Epic has done with that franchise. And that's why they're, you know, the talk. Talk of yeah. the town. And to be clear, I am still planning to play. Obviously, I bought the Battle Pass with my <laughs> own money. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and I... You know, I'm having a good time, but if I had an active, like if the girls that I was playing with were like, let's boot up Warzone, and we ha- were picking between Fortnite and Warzone, I would pick Warzone probably 99 out of 100 times. Sure. But I will say the skins in Fortnite are better. The customization in Fortnite yeah, is better. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, is a big part of it when you're playing it a is. free-to-play game, right? It's like, you mm-hmm. want to look cool. You want to look snazzy. As you're rolling around. And if the music. Made, oh, the li- the music licensing in Fortnite is excellent. If they Not great if you're streaming, but really fun to play when you're just playing for funsies. I have a really stupid question. Okay. It out. If they made a Brit skin, would you buy it and be me? Yeah, of course I would. Okay. Absolutely I would. I wonder what that name, would look Name like. the price me. and I will buy it. 69. I was going to say 69420, <laughs> but that's not a thing. Actually, no. 6942 because the zero at the end. I would buy it for $69.42. Thanks, baby girl. God damn. That's a true friend right there. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So I I just really love the experience of being able to play a multiplayer again. Mm -hmm. I really miss my time in Destiny. I miss my time in Rainbow Six. I didn't get to play enough of Rainbow Six Extraction, which I really was having fun with. Back for Blood put out an expansion, which I haven't gotten to play yet. (laughs) 
there's just like again there's just not enough hours I know Salt and Sacrifice is out and I've really wanted to play that too but now the irony is I'm playing Elden Ring and Salt and Sacrifice is a Souls-like game as well so it's like what the fuck and I've been looking forward to that game for so long there's just so much Ah, ah. someday we'll get to it all Brittany someday Uh, but for now I want to intro the next part of the show so uh, we're going to take a quick break we have a very special interview when we come back with the one and only Reggie stick with us we'll see you in a minute this episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by ExpressVPN Watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is like buying tickets to a Taylor Swift concert, but only being allowed to watch the opening act? Like, what the heck? Who wants to do that? So you need ExpressVPN to prevent that situation from happening to you. And what's great about it is that it really is going to open up your streaming library. So we all have gotten into this streaming way of life, not only because of the pandemic when we were all stuck at home, but because it's just so convenient to have all of the apps either on your phone, on your smart TV, your laptop, wherever you are watching. But there's whole countries that have content that's gated behind your internet access. Enter ExpressVPN here to make your library just that much more robust. So I have mentioned before in the show that me and John and baby Drake love watching this TV show called Bluey, but only the first two seasons are available on Disney Plus right now, and season three is only available in Australia. So I figured out how to change my country to (laughs) Australia on my ExpressVPN app, so now I can pull up the episodes on my phone and I'm in the process of getting it set up on my smart TV as well. And I never knew that this was a thing that I could do. So there's so much more than just kids TV shows out there to watch, whether you're looking for content from Japan or from the UK or any of the other many countries that are producing content around the world, you can also hack your way into the matrix with ExpressVPN. They've got blazing fast speeds. You can stream in HD with zero buffering. It's compatible with all of your devices, your phones, your laptops, your consoles, smart TVs, and more. And the servers are in 94 different countries, giving you access to thousands of new shows. And it works with streaming services like BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and more. So be smart, everybody. Stop paying full price for streaming services, but only getting a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash what's good games. Use our link at expressvpn.com slash what's good games, and you'll get an extra three months of Express ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash what's good games. We've been teasing this interview all episode and now the time is here. Britt, did Reggie answer all of your questions like you thought he would? Yeah, he's great. <laughs> like, honestly, you can tell that that man, he doesn't need PR to follow him around. He doesn't need anybody. He is just so well versed and articulate and it's just it's just honestly mind-blowing. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Like, that man will never fumble. We had a wonderful time. In fact, we went a little bit over our allotted time uh, for his interview and could have easily just kept chatting. So without further ado, here to promote his new book, Disrupting the Game, is our interview with Reggie fils Enjoy, everybody. 
What's good, everybody? Andrea and Britt here with a very special interview. We are very excited to welcome Reggie Fizame, the managing partner at Brentwood Growth Strategies. Reggie, do we even need to introduce you? I feel like you have now obtained that status of the one word name. <laughs> it's you, Mario, Link, and Reggie. You know, hopefully I, uh, I, I reached that status once I launched my Twitter profile, you know, when I uh, right when I retired and snagged that at Reggie handle. So I, I do think I, uh, you know, not quite like Oprah, but yeah, I think I'm at that one one name title now. You're knocking on Oprah's door, though. Don't sell yourself short, Reggie. There you go. <laughs> no, it was interesting when Brittany and I got the email from your PR team about your book, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um, it was really fascinating to me, the level of detail that they went into describing who you are. And I was like, yo, I know who Reggie is. But after reading your book, I guess I didn't know who you were. What I think is really phenomenal about this is that you go into so much detail. I mean, Reggie, you've done a lot. I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have done a lot. But, you know, here's here's the interesting thing. So in in looking to share the word about the book, you know, we're we're reaching pretty far and wide. And you might be shocked and surprised that there are people who really don't know, you know, Reggie from the Nintendo days. So giving them all of that detail is really helpful. But, yes, the, the book really is uh, my my personal story, my business story, sharing lessons that I've learned along the way and hopefully touching some young, uh, young professionals or, or people who are early in their own identification of what their personal future looks like. Hopefully I'm, I'm giving them some insight and some thoughts on how to best move forward doing whatever it is that they want to do. I love that you have these little moments throughout the book, the the so what moments. And I, mm. I made a bunch of marks on them because I think you do provide a lot of really wonderful guidance to people who are potentially looking to succeed. And I think it's so interesting how diverse your work experience is and all the different types of experiences that kind of led you to where you are. One of the questions that Brittany and I frequently get from our community is, how do I do what you do? I work in this other industry, but I want to work in video games. Like, how do I make that transition? What kind of advice would you give to somebody who asked you that question? You know, for, for me, my journey into video games actually started as a player, right? I, I This is in the early 90s. I'm playing uh, my Super Nintendo Entertainment System at home. Prior to that, I had played, you know, in arcades, put, spent a lot of quarters on Donkey Kong during that time, but the earliest systems from Atari. And so th the first thing I would say is if, if you want to be in this industry, this video game space, you know, you, you need to really have a passion as a player and, and know about the industry, have a sense of the industry's history. I, I think that's a critical first step. And then from there, depending on what part of the industry you want to be in, you know, if you're trying to be a creator, then create content. And whether that's your own podcast or or uh, you know, video streaming that you do, or if you're looking to create games themselves, there are all types of different platforms for you to get experience actually building gaming content. So 
make stuff. If you really want to be in this space, make stuff, make stuff that's relevant for the industry. And, you know, look to spend time with not only the big industry players who continue to hire significant numbers of people, but there are some great smaller companies, you know, this great indie community that is looking to uh, bring multi-talented staff onto their teams. So, you know, th- this opportunity, this industry is ripe with all types of opportunities and, uh, you know, I, just do your homework and have some passion. And by reading your book, I mean, this title, Disrupting the Game, you talk about being a disruptor and sticking to your morals. And what I thought was really great is accepting no when no means no, you know, and accepting it with grace and knowing that you did your best. And I think about when you talk about how you failed to convince Nintendo to launch the 3DS at $199.99. So can you talk a little bit about what a disruptor is and what's that difference between being a disruptor and just being really arrogant? You know, for, for me, when I talk about being a disruptor, I look at it as leveraging all of your background, all of your information, uh, so looking to get at, you know, all types of different inputs that lead you to make smart recommendations, smart decisions to move things forward. When in the book, I highlight a, a number of areas where I was able to push an idea forward, a non-traditional idea, and to get that implemented in the marketplace. The, the best example being the pack-in of Wii Sports with the Wii proposition. But in the book, I also highlight there are times when you know you you get an answer that is no, mm-hmm. and you at that point need to accept it and move on and execute to the best of your ability. And that was with Nintendo 3DS and launching that device at 249. I was passionate that I I thought the price was too high, especially given the lineup of games and when we would be launching, you know, key pieces of software. Ocarina of Time 3D didn't come out until later in the summer. We had great content coming out for the first holiday of the platform. But when we launched in March and for those next few months, the pipeline was somewhat dry. And so I I thought the best overall proposition would have been launching at 199, given all those factors. But, you know, Satoru Wada said no. And at that point, my job as leader for the biggest part of the global Nintendo business was to execute to the very best of our ability, which we did. And and by that, I mean, you know, retailers had appropriate levels of stock. They didn't have excess stock as many other different regions did, which led to a host of other issues that we dealt with down the road uh, on a global basis. But any leader is at times in a situation where what they want to do is not being accepted, whether it's by shareholders or other senior management. And at that point, you have to execute to the very best of your ability and move forward. Absolutely. I was going to ask that question too. So Britt Brit beat me to it, but very interesting. I had the... Uh, 
part of your book pulled out where you talked about overstepping authority, both in good ways and bad, and, you know, telling the difference. And I think a lot of it's gut feeling too, right? Of thinking, well, you know, I may think that this is the right thing to do. And then in hindsight, I guess it actually probably wasn't the good thing to do, which I guess is something you just kind of got to learn over time. I did also think it was interesting in your book, you talk about several stories. Um, well, you don't talk about several stories. What you'd specifically call out is about toxic bosses. And the reason I, I brought this up is that there's been stories over the last few years in the video games industry about some pretty toxic workplaces, toxic bosses, most certainly affecting people's workplace happiness and their overall like health in the video game industry. And you say, you know what? The so what is if you have a toxic bot, you just got to get out of there. But like, what if you can't just get out of there? Is there things that you would recommend for people on how they could potentially cope with that situation? Or do you have strategies for how people can exit from a kind of toxic workplace environment? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that question from two standpoints. So in the book, I highlight a situation where I had a toxic boss. And, you know, I, I did my very best to try and deal with the situation, but I came to the realization that, you know, there was really nothing I could do and that, you know, the, the, the best way for me to move forward, given my own uh, mental health, my own personal desires was to exit that organization. And regrettably, you know, many people get to that type of situation where they've done their best, but truly the right thing for them is to exit because oftentimes toxic bosses do leave a trail of good people who exit and leave them and they go ruin, you know, many different organizations throughout their, uh, throughout their career. The other way, though, that I want to answer this question is what happens when you're a senior leader and you're responsible for an organization? And that's where it is your responsibility to identify those toxic individuals and to first give them the opportunity to get better and to address their issues and weaknesses. And then secondly, if that can't be done, then you need to exit them from the organization. And I, I say that, uh, and it may sound cold, but I, I do believe as a leader, you're responsible for the culture, you're responsible for the people. And when you have situations where behaviors are inconsistent with the culture you're building and they're inconsistent with what you're trying to achieve, then you need to exit that person in order to have uh, you know, the best outcomes for their people and the best outcomes for the overall uh, organization. To the point about, you know, overall toxicity in this industry, I, I do believe a big part of the issue is that we do not have senior leaders who are standing up to shape their culture and therefore taking accountability to address toxic behavior when they see it and to uh, to exit those individuals and 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 really make it a priority for the culture of the organization to be healthy um, and uh, I, you know the, the other piece is I, I do believe that you know there's not enough focus on truly driving broad diversity within this industry and when I talk about diversity it's more than, 
your sexual orientation or the color of your skin. It really is recognizing that we all bring unique experiences to bear and there's value in having as broad a range of those unique experiences as possible. Uh, and again, I, I don't think that that's being done at the scale we need for this $200 billion industry in order to progress forward. Preach the good word, Reggie. <laughs> yes, amen. It's yeah. something we talked about at the Women in Gaming Breakfast during the Game Speed Summit as well, this importance of diversity and inclusion, but also the differences. It's something you called out in your book, too. I have I have a quote here that I was going to ask you about where you say true leaders passionately believe in diversity as a personal and professional imperative and take action. And I think you hit the nail on the head and Brittany and I are no strangers to having to take the ban hammer out. It's actually kind of Brittany's favorite thing to do (laughs) about taking personal responsibility for our community and saying, Hey, we want this to be a safe place. We want gamers of all kinds to feel like they can come to the what's good games forums and have spirited debates about their favorite video games and not have to worry about somebody attacking them. But that takes work, right? So what kind of work do you think still needs to be done? Well, it absolutely takes work, right? In order to create a culture where people feel free to provide their opinion, they feel free to have the debate. And, and you know, I'll even say to have the argument. Having an argument is a good thing, right? Do it respectfully. Do it with clarity. Um, but deal with the issue, right? Don't attack the person. And, you know, navigating that is just so incredibly important. And, you know, I, I, I say this with confidence that I have done this throughout my career. You have to address this issue. You need to be clear in stating your own beliefs and priorities around the issue. And then you have to walk the walk. And you have to take action when it's required in, in navigating uh, toxic behavior out of an organization. And look, I, I do believe as an industry, this is something that is being taken more and more seriously. I've been asked to spend time with a number of organizations in, in my role as a consultant uh, and as a public speaker to talk about this very issue. But much more needs to be done. And it, it needs to be done at every at every company, dare I say, and at every level within those companies. What is the importance, do you think, and how does this apply of being personable? Now, I think when I think of personable folks at Nintendo, obviously, Reginator, you know, you were like the, the face of the company in that sense. You had all these fun memes. I feel like the audience really connected with you. And in this area, this era of social media, you we see a lot of brands really leaning into that. I think of specifically Xbox. I love what they're doing with their social platforms. They're always interacting with fans. And I think what that does is maybe it gives folks a pause before they rage on the Internet and say something really <laughs> asshole-ish you know it's like well there's actually a person behind this screen name right here you know what I mean so I think of also other companies right now like Sony Nintendo specifically who kind of are sticking to the more traditional trajectory of they're interacting with their audience but not to the level Xbox is and not to the level you know that a lot of indie studios are what is the importance of being personable you think going forward in this industry and how much of an impact do you think that's going to have on communities Look, I I think it's very important 
And in particular, I, I pride myself that the Reggie that was on all of those videos is the same Reggie that our employees saw in the lunchroom and throughout all of the interactions. It's the same Reggie that showed up to board meetings. It's the same Reggie that showed up at home. It's always the same person. And that authenticity, I think, is critically important in creating that relationship with the broad community. Uh, I agree. I, I think the team at Xbox, and I'll positively call out Phil Spencer. I mean, the Phil that you see on video is the same Phil that you're going to experience if you happen to be matched up uh, playing one of his favorite games on the Xbox. Uh, and that type of authentic authenticity is uh, is something that the fan base really sees. You know, I, I I was fortunate at Nintendo that you know it was I, I was the right person at the right place to be part of the face of the company. And you know, the fact that you know Satoru Wada uh, Shigeru Miyamoto accepted me as uh, as part of that Triforce if you will, was just incredibly special. Um, but it was, uh, it was a moment in time created by them and created by my, my own, uh, you know, my own being, my own personality, everything that I stand for and the way that I, I put myself forward that it, it came to be. Who knows if there'll be a similar situation, whether it's that company, whether it's Sony, whether it's any other company, but net, net, you know, there needs to be the right mix of, people involved in order to have that type of engagement with the community. Uh, you're right. I see it with a lot of indie companies. I see it with uh, the folks at Xbox as a platform, but we all need to recognize that it's, it's special when you have that type of situation. Definitely. I think, also, sometimes we lose sight of the differences between how a company that has its roots in Japan is going to culturally be different than a company that has its roots here in the United States. I know in your book, you talk at length about some of those differences, particularly when you first started working at Nintendo, trying to navigate some of those cultural differences. Do you think that the way a company like PlayStation presents itself is impacted by that as well? Because it seems like obviously Nintendo being a Japanese company has overcome some of those personality issues that seem to still be plaguing PlayStation. You know, I, I, I can't speak to what's going on with the team at PlayStation. Uh, you know, I, I count uh, quite a number of people who have worked there to be close friends. And I, you know, I know, quite a number of folks throughout their development organizations. You know, what I would say is this, speaking, you know, from my own perspective, is that, you know, Nintendo, given the content that it creates, given the fact that there are so many key developers that have been with the company so long, you know, it, it has a personality. It, it has a fun, very playful personality that comes through in the games. It comes through in the individuals. And, you know, that very much fit me and my own personality. So it was easy to be part of that organization and to continue me just being Reggie and, and everything that I do. 
so that mix needs to be there in terms of how the company sees itself. It needs to be there in terms of the personality of the individuals. Um, and, you know, I hope for the good of the industry, all, all of the key platforms and platform holders, I do hope that they put a priority in, on this because I do think in the end, it's good for the industry when the key people, the key personalities are out there really being advocates for for the business and being advocates for the uh, the games that they create. I think of one of the most fun reads out of, out of your book for me was the buildup to your famous E3 2004 line. My name is Reggie. I'm about kicking ass, about taking names, and we're about making games. Like, hilarious. And I think for me, it was so fun to read that and how you were pitching that to Iwata-san and Minagawa-san, I believe is who it was. Um, and there was this pause and you were studying Iwata's face and Minagawa looks at you and says, Reggie, why are you so angry? (laughs) It it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a classic lost in translation moment, but you know, and, and again, you know, some, some key insights in that story. Um, You know, I I always made it a point uh, when we were having group meetings that I would have an, a native Japanese speaker l- literally either to my right or to my left um, because I, I always wanted to get, you know, the, the immediate, you know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What are they thinking? <laughs> you know, how is this being perceived? Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a really good friend of mine who retired just a few years before I did, a gentleman by the name of Mike Fukuda, who headed up our uh, our uh, game development, uh, publishing, uh, third-party support for many, many years, literally was sitting next to me saying, Reggie, they don't get it, right? They don't understand what it is that we're trying to do. And then Mr. Minagawa punctuating it with, you know, Reggie, why are you so angry? And I wasn't even <laughs> the one reading the line, right? I, 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 had, I had one of our PR team members read the line so I could study their face. But, you know, the, to me, the highlight is that you know once once you see the disconnect, then you need to address it, right? So mm-hmm. you know immediately I got into my salesmanship mode of articulating why the line was so important, uh, what it was that we were trying to do from a business objective standpoint, and how it all fit together. And in the end, getting Mr. Awada to agree. And uh, and us moving forward and really shaping that entire presentation in a different way with a different tone and uh, and upping the overall salesmanship and communication for the Nintendo DS and and ending that conference with a video of what would become the Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. I mean, it was it was just a fantastic moment in time. It really was. And I don't want to use the word aggressive, so I'll use some air quotes around here. But I feel like, you know, today, like, I can't imagine a world where where Nintendo would open any press conference by saying, you know, we're about kicking ass. And so I really love that. I just have to ask, was it kind of an organic shift to what you mentioned earlier? You know, you think of Nintendo, you think of family fun, you think of like happy, good vibes. You don't think of someone saying I'm about kicking ass and I'm about taking names. Did that happen just organically or was there like a meeting of the minds to say, okay, we don't need to do this. It worked for when we needed it to, but we don't have to use this approach going forward. Well, um, if you, if you go back and look at, 
the the all of the press conferences that I was involved in, um, there was always there was always some tongue in cheek moment. There was always some element, right? So, you know, two thousand and four, it's about kicking ass and taking names. The next year, Mr. Awada kicked off uh, our E three press conference, and he teased about you know. Uh, you know, uh, taking names and things of that nature. And, you know, it, it led to a fun dynamic. Um, even, you know, some of the unique things that he did, there, there was the one either Nintendo Direct or E3 Direct where he's just looking at a you know bunch of bananas. So completely random, but so much, so much fun in what it was that we were doing. And, and then culminating in the great uh, puppet skit where we're, <laughs> we're, we're made uh, to be puppets and then uh, Star Fox characters, but reliving some of those famous E3 moments. So, you know, there's, there's always been uh, a vibe of fun and a vibe of surprise that has always run through the, the Nintendo communications that I was part of. Maybe they weren't so directly competitive as uh, as that very first one, but it, it really always has been uh, a hallmark during the days uh, that I was involved with those presentations of uh, of on one hand making a point and driving the communication, but always having some fun. Mm-hmm. I have to just openly say that I miss the theater presentations so much. Obviously, uh. you as the marketing guru helped oversee the transition from the presentation to the now famous Nintendo Direct format that a lot of other people have stolen from you guys. Um, do you think that it accomplished everything that you guys wanted it to? Do you also miss the in-person thing, though, sometimes? Well, look, um, you know, I I loved the in-person presentations. You know, for, for me, you know, I I think I do them fairly well. Uh, I love the vibe off the crowd. That's why I continue to do public speaking. You know, big events like South by Southwest. You know, you and I were just at a GameSpeak conference. I, I like working off of the vibe of the crowd. So from that standpoint, that was something that I personally missed. But on the other hand, the the video presentation allowed the group to do some really innovative and creative things, things that you wouldn't have been able to do in the live presentation. We we taught we touched on the the Nintendo puppets, uh, some of the other pre- presentations we did that use a lot of special effects and in, in the video. These are just you know new techniques that we're able to bring and continue to drive. The fun factor, the interest factor, in uh, in helping drive the overall communication. So, you know, I I think there might be a day in the future that big press conferences come back, but it has to be done for a reason. <laughs> it has to have a, a true intent for uh, for what they become. Well, my fingers are crossed. Uh, this would have been my fourteenth. E three, and obviously there's there's no E three this year, but I definitely miss 
the the kind of razzle dazzle of being in the theater as a as a member of the media and getting to see some of that really exciting content for the first time. I still remember um, holding my really old cell phone as I was recording the first time the Wii U was unveiled, and they did that moment with the golf swing where they mm-hmm. like hit the golf ball from the pad onto the screen, and I was like, whoa! Just that magic of it, I think, is really special. I completely agree. I mean, there there is something magical about an ex- expertly done big press conference event. Um, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I, I, again, I, I do believe it, you know the right time, the right space, uh, those will come back. Well, I know we're getting to the end of our time, but Brittany has some questions that I'm sure she would love to ask you. So I'm going to okay. give the floor to her. I won't lightning around you, Reggie, but I have a, a question. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about it. Being the marketing genius you are, and I'm not just kissing your ass, um, blockchain, NFTs, like that's such a hot button topic. And I believe you are a believer in the technology and the potential of it. Obviously, we've seen companies like Ubisoft and EA and even some voice actors talk about wanting to get into this space and quickly quickly being air quotes canceled right it's just like you don't do it how how does the nft and the blockchain movement need to be presented to the gaming industry as we know it for it to be something that people will actually stop and listen to and put away their pitchforks and torches look there needs to be a great example that wows the player that makes the experience compelling and intuitive. And it, and therefore, it's not about the fact that it used blockchain. It's not about the fact that mm-hmm. maybe it had an NFT component. It's about the game. It's about the experience. And that it is compelling and then you know, makes me a believer. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, before Pokemon Go came out into the marketplace, there was always this raging debate, you know, can AR be used in the game? Can it be done in an interesting way? Well, when when Pokemon Go came out and you're able to capture your, your Pokemon, you know, out there in the environment that you're walking around and when you're by water, you've got more access to water Pokemon or when you're in a green space, you've got more access to that type mm-hmm. of Pokemon, it just worked. It just worked. And so that's what we all need. We need that example where it works. It In the background, it's leveraging this technology. But as a player, you're saying, this is a great experience. I'm having so much fun. That's what we need to experience. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when there was the raging debate about uh, you know, free-to-play games that had in-game monetization and how the gaming community was raising their pitchforks and saying mm-hmm. how bad an idea this is. And yet, you know, there are a lot of people playing Fortnite. There are a lot of people <laughs> playing, you know, free-to-play games that have in-game monetization, whether it's to buy items to speed through the experience or whether it's uh, items that enable you to personalize your avatar. It's now taken for granted because developers have figured out ways to just make it work and make it part of the experience. That's what we're going to need for blockchain and for NFTs to be accepted as part of a, a great gaming experience. 
Mm, yeah, it definitely seems like folks are scarred from the examples you listed earlier. And it, it's just the automatic assumption that everything is a cash grab. This is malicious. This is bad, bad, bad. So, okay. Thank you. I, I'm just really curious to see how this plays out and if the general gaming audience will eventually accept it. But I think it's where the industry is going for sure. There's just no escaping it. You can't yeah, escape it. Exactly. We talked about yeah. it in the episode last week. It's like you can be mad about the blockchain, the blockchain <laughs> if, if you want to, but everybody's working on it. At least every major publisher that mm-hmm. it has um, has shareholders, I guess I should say. Um, so we are almost at the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you one question from our community. And they wrote in, gave us some questions for you. We don't can't get to them all. Sorry, guys. But uh, Javin Mather wrote in and says, Reggie, thank you for all the work you've done and your impact in the industry. Here's my question. Looking back on your work with Nintendo, what is something you wish you'd seen other companies learn or borrow from Nintendo or vice versa? What are some things that come to mind that you wish Nintendo maybe had gleaned from their competitors? So I'll give uh, one from each category. Um, I do wish that the industry really embraced the overall innovation mentality that Nintendo has. And what I mean by that is, you know, Nintendo is always taking risks, right? And and people talk about it as... Nintendo stubborn. Nintendo, you know, <laughs> is uh, you know they're they're, they're, in their their own, they're they're in their own little space. They're doing <laughs> their own little thing. Who says and that? We don't we don't ever say that. What? But it's, no. it, it it comes from a mentality of constantly taking risks, constantly you know pushing the envelope on behalf of the player. And I, I would love to see more of that throughout the industry. Right? Give give me less of fill in the franchise you know, uh, iteration number four, five, or six, mm-hmm. and, and give me something new and something different. I, I think the indus- the indie community is doing that, and, and that's why I love uh, supporting indie content. Uh, but I, I wish some of the larger players in the space would look to do more innovation versus, you know, what, what I call steal and reapply of, uh, of what happens to be working at this moment in time, whether it's, you know, the, the, the latest roguelike game or the latest battle royale ga- game, we, we tend to get stuck in cycles. From a, from a Nintendo perspective, I, I would love to see Nintendo do more narrative-driven games uh, and really putting a priority on that. Uh, from, from my perspective, uh, Metroid Other M was their attempt to do something that was a bit more narrative driven. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't uh, work in the marketplace. And when I say it didn't work, it, it didn't reach the volume levels that the company hoped. But I, I do wish the company would try more of a, of a really narrative driven piece of content. Uh, Breath of the Wild comes close, um, but I, I would I would want to see something heavily, heavily narrative driven just to see what they could do with it. You know what has a great narrative, Reggie, is Mother 3. <laughs> oh, there yeah, it is. I, I was wondering, I, you know, where, where's my clock? I was wondering how long <laughs> oh, it would take. Oh, my gosh. I know, I know. 
so Earthbound is legit like my all-time favorite game of all time. So I I would not be doing myself a service if I at least didn't bring it up once. But I have to know, is the joke as fun for you as it is for the community? <laughs> or are you so over it? You know, I, I am I am at the point. Um, you know, and again, this is this is my personality coming through. You know, when, when I when I see something interesting around Mother Three, like a piece of artwork or something like that, I'll I'll grab it off the internet. And I'll hold on to it and I'll use it at, a, at an appropriate period of time. So, you know, you're, the community may have seen this past Mother's Day. I took a piece of art the, that I had seen off the Internet and uh, and used it, wishing everyone a happy Mother's Day. Oh, and, Reggie. Uh, it, uh, it, you know, it's it, it's my it's my effort of of uh, of having fun with the community, because, look, you know, my my. My time at Nintendo uh, is linked to the Mother 3 as a game. And why wasn't Mother 3 uh, launched here in, in, the, in the West? But, uh, you know, uh, Mother 3 and I are, are linked forever in history, it's in. Inescapable, as it were. It's, it's you know, like um, any band that has like a, a really popular song. How they always are just going to have to play it, right? You're, so you're saying that Mother 3 is my one-hit wonder? Boy, <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Because as I mentioned in your book, which is out now, everybody disrupting the game, you talk so much about your diverse work experiences. So everybody, if you want to learn, as I did, more about Crisco marketing than you ever thought you would know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) disrupting the game um, is out now by Reggie Fizemi. Reggie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with Britt and I. We could easily fill a whole nother hour with questions that we have for you, but we know that you have lots of other folks to talk to. So uh, is there kind of any parting gift from your book that you want to kind of drop as a nugget for people to pick up on your way out the door? You know, so, well, first off, uh, I have to notice all of the little marks you had on the book, all of those, uh, you know. Oh, yes, I have marks, notes. I have all notes. your little notes. So, that, you know, <laughs> thank you for that. That, that means that, uh, that, you know, hopefully I shared some things that are, uh, you know, interesting, provocative, key lessons to learn. So that's a, that's a nice thing to see. You know, the, the, the piece that I would just highlight around the book, and you touched on it, you know, I, I really do hope the lessons that I share is these so what's, right? As in, you know, so what's the point of the story? What's the key lesson learned? I, I really do hope that that touches the reader or the audiobook listener uh, because the, I, I believe that that's my disruptive part of this business memoir. And, uh, and I really want to uh, I want to leave the book as something that helps that next generation of leaders uh, progress in their own journey. Well, you certainly have accomplished that. I finished it last night. I stayed up late, not quite till 3 a.m., um, like you did in your one story, but I, I finished it because it is absolutely a wonderful read. So if you guys are wanting to know where you can get it um all fine book retailers as reggie mentioned also on audiobook and uh don't forget at reggie on twitter is the best place to keep up with what you're doing these days is that correct that is correct uh at reggie as well as reggiefisame.com i've got a website up that uh that captures a lot of my current activity as well awesome well the reggie thank you so much again and enjoy the rest of your day and, and good luck with the rest of your book tour great thank you both so much great to see you bye reggie 
Thank you again to Reggie fils and his team for making time for us here at West Good Games. We know that he's been making the rounds in a video games media, but I thought we had a really fun time with him. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I'm just really happy that I got my Mother 3 comment in. I just would not <laughs> have been able to live with myself had I not said anything. He's such a good sport. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I do appreciate that he understands that it is his free bird. And hopefully he'll remember that every time someone asks him about Mother 3, he'll be like, free bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thanks everybody for hanging out with us to the end of the episode don't forget about the what's good games five-year anniversary stream if you're not listening to the podcast in time the vods will be up you'll be able to watch it after the fact but we're excited to celebrate with you and uh, we'll see you then bye everybody